Welcome to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things Scream Free. My name is John Allen Turner, and my good friend over there on the other side of the table, about to spit his drink all over his yes, microphone, sorry. is Hal Edward Runkle. Hal. Hello. How are you today? I'm just fine and dandy. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Is that, uh, is that genuine? It's it's a good sixty percent genuine. Okay, all right. Uh, I read an article right before mm, I came in here. Alrighty then. And it was. Um, uh, d- uh, do you remember uh, Three's Company? No, I'm not gonna know. <laughs> not gonna know. <laughs> the apartment that uh, they had in Three's Company. You yes. remember the apartment? Oh, you can see it in your head, right? You know where the, the rounded was, doors, it, two uh, bedrooms with a Jack and Jill bathroom. Yes. And then they had the uh, the eat-in kitchen. Yes. That had the little swinging door swinging on it. Swinging door. Right? That that was uh, part of so much of their tomfoolery. And, and it yes. was, was uh, getting stuck One or getting hit by the door. In or, and, yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Because so, Jack uh, Tripper was a chef. Yeah, he was a, he it, would, at first, at the beginning of it, he was a culinary student. He yes, was still a student. And he was cooking. He would be cooking something in that kitchen and right. coming out in the living room, and then Janet would be coming in. Yes, so I remember. So apparently, I had forgotten this, but there's an episode where they lost the rent. Okay. And they had an envelope All that right. had the rent All in right. it. And All so right. the rent, we found out from that episode, for that apartment in Santa Monica, it was like was three hundred dollars. Oh, Jeez, do you know what that apartment? What that apartment goes for now? Is this it, is this was the article that I read. Was it an actual apartment? An actual? Well, no, no, no. no but but what okay. that apartment would with those dimensions would go, would go for in Santa Monica? Oh, now. it's what eighteen hundred dollars or something unbelievable. <laughs> no, five no, grand. No, five grand. No, That's a, that was there was a, a a realtor. Wow. Wrote this article about the cost of living and how it's increased. And I'd forgotten how much of that show I remember. Oh, you know, gosh. you forget how much you remember. No, I remember. That was uh, so that, was that part of the much. big lineup. Yeah, was that part that was, of the? Uh, it was it was Happy Days, ABC, Laverne and Shirley, Tuesday nights, right? Seven o'clock. Well, I was Good. Central Time, right? Yeah, that's right. Because you so were in Texas. Seven Central yeah, was in California. Was happy Days. Yeah. Seven thirty was Laverne and Shirley. And then eight o'clock was Three's Company. Three's Company. And then eight thirty was. There, there was a revolving thing. There were several couple, things. But there was it, one. There that... was one where uh, Ted Knight or Ted Baxter mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. was, a, oh. uh, was a cartoonist. Too close Too for cl- comfort. With Jim, Jim J. Bullock. Bullock. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> we are far too similar. Nobody knows so know. what we're talking about. No, no, no. I, th- I think yeah. probably more people know this stuff. And then than... what was nine o'clock? Uh, for a long a, time, a Dynasty. No. That was Wednesday nights because oh, we couldn't watch what, it because we were in church. Was, it was some show like that, though, right? Was it um, Heart to Heart? Heart to Heart. Yep. When they met, it was murder. Exactly. <laughs> heart to Heart, baby. That was the line. That was the so, end. So tell me this though: when, yeah. when when you think of Three's Company, where does that stack in terms of like top five, top? Is that a top ten sitcom? Ah, jeez, I haven't seen it in so long. I don't know how it's. I don't aged. know how long it sta- how well it stands up. Yeah, I don't know. With, you know and then how you had well Ropers, they did. And then you had Mr. Furley came after. And then you had the uh, Larry. Was it Larry? Larry down, down Larry at the, the Regal the, Beagle. Regal Beagle. God, you beat me to it. I was just about to say Regal Beagle. <laughs> is that a top five oh for you, gosh. or is that a top ten? I don't like know. if you had to list your favorite. You know, in terms of, of funny time, shows, you obviously you would go. You, you and I are big Seinfeld. Yeah, Seinfeld's number right. one. So Seinfeld and then Simpsons has got to be up there too. 
cousins, the, for sure. Uh, That's friends, what we grew up. Friends, of course, you know. Another thing, and that was a little later for me. What's interesting is my kids would probably list Friends as their favorite. Okay. Because and, and what's bizarre is that they were born after it went away. Where do you go? Like, what, what does? Um, what about the Office? I'd never watched one full episode. You never watched The nope. Office. Never one episode. Was it that was an intentional choice? Yeah, it just it. Uh, you know, I don't love theater of cruelty. Right. So that's that's a form of theater, a genre yes. where the intention is to induce anxiety. Yes. But you you love curb your enthusiasm. No. No? I stopped watching Curb oh, Okay, Your you couldn't you couldn't keep it up. No, yeah, because it was Seinfeld. Yeah, it, it, it was, was the worst parts of Seinfeld. Yeah, and it really amplified. is designed to. So I will say, there's a couple of episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm that I think are some of the funniest things I've ever seen. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't, couldn't keep, do the office. Keep watching. I couldn't do the office. Maybe because it felt has felt too real to but offices it, it, I've been a part of. And so that's my question because I. You know, I've known each other for a long time, and um, how many offices did you have? You ever worked in like a cubicle office kind of place? With my own cubicle, kind or of, or one of those kinds of offices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I worked in a, an office all through my teenage years, and then I worked for churches, right? Which is a for a while, different. for a little different, for sure. Obviously, because sure. there's smaller staff. Yes, in, in most churches. Now there are some churches that are very large. Well, and that's they have the thing about staff. the about the offices. You're, you're talking about a, a, a relatively small company. Yeah, that's in true. terms of that, that yeah, particular yeah, yeah, yeah. location, well, I guess there probably like yes. twenty people there. Total, yeah, something like you know. that. And so I, I worked in offices like that. Uh, and so, so it's interesting to me that that that. that the fact that it was too much like no, I, I, that's was one a of it. No, that's one of it. It's just I just don't like. Uh, it's interesting with the theater of cruelty stuff. I don't like. Um, I don't like laughing at someone uh, intent at their intentional expense. Okay, this was what uh, Chekhov said: separated humans from animals is that uh, humans have the capacity. Uh, to laugh at another human's pain, mm-hmm. you'll never see that in the animal kingdom. Yeah, yeah. But that, uh, and that's what I I don't really you don't want to laugh at someone else's pain. Love, and I and I think you know what that may be part of the the sensitive gene that I have that okay. that uh, makes me a decent therapist. Sure, right. The empathy. Yeah, that there's just I I can too quickly identify. Okay, I think one of the reasons people liked The Office was because it was so. Like they, everybody sure. knows someone like Phyllis or knows someone like Dwight or you know absolutely and uh, sure and then you had Jim the the you know the, the, the so called normal one. right right right, right. the everyman yes and and of course he got stuck in a situation right and, and he would literally he would look at the camera mm-hmm. as if to say what the are, heck are you, are you watching are this you am I crazy this? yeah here's so, the, here, here's my problem with it he couldn't see how he was part of the system there you go. I hated yeah. that. Yeah. He would just tell, like, what am like, I going to do? I don't know like, what to do. And, that's, is it and maybe is it's it? because when so many clients that I work with that uh, complain about office stuff, that's their biggest blind spot, is it is so, so easy to complain in about, at the water cooler, about yeah. complain about everybody to else. To complain about I, Phyllis, to complain about uh, 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 this, yeah. this inter-office dynamic. And or, I got to tell you, and maybe it's because I've got family members like this or what, but there is there are a few things more irritating to me than the person who thinks everyone around me is crazy. 
and I'm the only sane one. That's but what they're that's, saying. You can't say that unless right. you're the sane one, because if you're yeah. crazy, then you can't interpret everybody's craziness. So if you're calling everybody crazy, then you're but saying you're sane. that's the premise behind the self-serving bias, right? That, yeah. that uh, the, the psychological study back in the 80s, yes. where they polled licensed drivers... And 90% of licensed drivers claim that they are above average. Exactly. Right. Which mathematically can't, can't happen, is impossible, right? right? right. Yeah, everybody thinks sure. that they're the normal sure. driver. And that's what I don't like. I, I like self-aware. And so what, and what that means is that there is some sort of shared egg on the face. Right. Seinfeld right. had the shared egg on the face. Right. It, it depended on the yeah. episode, which I like. Friends absolutely did that so, Every so well. Every character took their right. turn being the, yes. the, the fool. But there's some good-hearted relationships around there. I didn't see good-hearted relationships in The Office. Well, obviously with Jim and Pam. That was that the developed. only one. And, yeah. and towards the end, they got a little more nostalgic they had to. about things. Yeah, right. they sweetened it up considerably. Sure, sure. And there were some cute little moments. I have seen actually more okay, than I'm letting listen on. To that. Right, yeah, right. But okay. cute moments between, you know, Steve Carell and, and Jim yeah, at the end yeah. when he's when Steve Carell's leaving. Back, all that kind yes, of yeah, yeah, yeah. So um so there were some relationships that developed in in uh, in sweet sorts of ways. Right. I just can't abide uh, total lack of self awareness is really, really hard for me to abide. Sure. And but that's what sitcoms are. In, in so many ways, but usually formulaic sitcoms end with some growth in some sense of self-awareness. Right. Well, and that was the, the genius of Seinfeld was no growing, no hugging. But they did have self-awareness. Yes, they in, were In the least... voice of the other, and because it was always rotating, it wasn't one character standing above all. Right, right. So there was Michael no... Michael in the office was always a clueless blaming on everybody. Buffoon. Yes. Yeah. Right, and we laughed at him, yeah, because he had to be, because he's the boss, and so what they're tapping into is everyone's frustration with, with their, their boss. boss. Yeah, which is genius from a, from a, a storyboarding you know, perspective, from a, from a writing mm-hmm. perspective, because you, what... You've he, created a comic foil. Yes, that everybody can relate to, everyone because very can, yeah. few people are the boss. Right, and we've all had to work with a tattletale like Dwight. Yes. You know, a suck-up tattletale. A suck-up, yes, absolutely. You know, and we've all... So, so Who's we, also very odd. We know, you know? those characters. We feel right. like we do, at least. And Ricky Gervais, when he was creating that, yeah. right, was basing that on... He having union archetypes of different mm-hmm. characters that we have in every story. Yeah. But connecting them to everyday people that we've met. And we work with side by side. And so if you actually ever put it on screen like that... And, and, and you amplify You them. amplify That's Yeah, you, everything yeah. has to be yeah. a caricature. So there's no it, it, characters in no, the story. No, 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 there's no. only caricatures. I think Seinfeld had characters. I don't know, man. Uh, uh, Kramer's Kramer entrances is, and exits. That's a caricature. You're right. And uh, Newman was a caricature Newman for sure. Newman was a caricature. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, George you know, friends, with the Human the, Foundation then maybe, yes. and all that. No, maybe, maybe Friends had characters. Okay. More. Okay. I could see that. But Three's Company had characters. Uh, uh, that's true. <laughs> they were caricatures. Well, but <laughs> but the office was. Is, we've got to amplify everyone yes. in order to make. And here's what it did, though. Because you you couldn't say you were completely any of those people. You right. Didn't because, want to. Well, and that's the that's the Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah. One of the funniest things I think he ever said 
was we marvel at things like that because it makes us feel a little less bad about our own lives. Yeah. Right? He said, you know, you, we were struggling with looking at our own family, but man, you were ever struggling like that? Just spend an hour at the state fair. Yeah. <laughs> After an hour, you're going to feel like dang near royalty. And no matter how bad you feel about your boss. Yeah. And it's maybe a, your boss is a buffoon or whatever. Right. Your boss isn't Michael Scott. Probably not Michael Scott. So... Yeah. So the, all of this, I bring all this up because well, yes. we, you and I, are going here in a few days. Yes. And we are going to, to uh, debut some new material. Mm-hmm. And we are actually uh, moving uh, into discussions of what it looks like to have a scream-free workplace or to be a scream-free leader. Right. And so I've been thinking a lot about office politics and office dynamics right? and trying to figure out some of our basic principles and how to apply them into that world. Into that world, sure. And it, it, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes because people tend to focus, like you said, right. on, well, it's my boss. Like Jim, look right. at the camera and go, what? What right. do I do? And what how- am I supposed to do? I'm just like you. I'm stuck in this position with and, and no... And I'm helpless. I'm helpless because I have no influence, and I'm hopeless because I'm stuck. And these people around me are crazy buffoons. Bat stuff crazy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they won't listen to reason. So how am I supposed to... Well, that was what the... Remember those commercials uh, with the guy working with a bunch of monkeys? Remember oh, those yeah, Super yeah, Bowl yeah. commercials for Monster.com? Yeah. Are you surrounded Are you tired by... Of, yes, yeah, yeah, working Monster. with monkeys. So you send your resume in and find a new job. Yes. And it was... I mean, obviously, that's what they were trying to sell. Sure. But this idea that I'm going to connect with your everyday experience, because the workplace is supposed to be the bastion of professionalism yes. and efficiency... Right mm-hmm. and uh, honesty, integrity, adulthood. You, I mean, we laugh at family stuff, right? Because there's right. all different levels of maturity represented. Yeah, but so we're when all you watch Modern right. Family or you watch something like that. You assume because you've right. got children and involved. Kids, children, and okay, and I get it. And it presents and a married yes. couple, and so yeah. there's sex, the st- dynamics, and politics there. And you add some kooky in-laws and a wacky right. next-door neighbor, and now you've got you a sitcom that sure. we can all kind of enter into that world. Eat more easy. I don't know. We can laugh at that. But the office is, was exposing stuff that hadn't fully been exposed before. Mm-hmm. And now it's on there. And oh my God, this is. I can't believe it's like they were at my last uh, Christmas party. Reading my mail, yeah. you know, looking. They've got to, you know, view into my daily existence. And like you said, we have a tendency. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why we have in the past maybe shied away a little bit from right. doing workplace stuff right. is because. It's really hard to create a scream-free system. Well, especially when you feel like you're not in charge. And so it's one of the reasons why we've we've never done scream-free families. Right, right. And we've never done scream-free... Organization. Organizations. Or, right, right. Because we all want to experience that, but as soon as we start talking about a scream-free workplace, for instance... I'm going to look at you like Jim. Yeah. And go, what? I can't... I, uh, exactly. Do, do yeah, that I would be with? nice if this was a crazy free place. That's right. right. I would love that, but somebody left a crazy door open, and now look right. at these monkeys that I'm working with. Exactly. And and so, it's always... it's always, I've always struggled with it, because I, I don't want to create 
the very problem I'm hoping to avoid. See, what I see as the core problem is that nobody wants to take responsibility for their part of the problem. Like you were just saying about Jim. Right. Jim had this blind spot he could not see. How he was contributing to the situation itself. Right. And if we just say, well, here's how to create a screen-free workplace, what what I've always been nervous about is as soon as I say that, then everyone's going to look at me like Jim. Yeah, what? What am I supposed to do? Exactly. I can't. Yeah, I that can't sounds do that. great. I wish we could. Of course, I'm all for it. I'm but on your side. All I can change is me, and I'm already doing that. Right. I'm already doing everything I need to do. So what? So what? So what? What do I do? Right. How do I? How do I proceed here? And like one. Of the... And I don't know. So that's our show. <laughs> that's our. That's our talk for Tune today. Tune in next week, yes. everybody. Uh, what the? Some of the hallmark principles. Of scream free, being scream living, free. about yes. being scream free, right? I think have a lot to say about workplace environments and especially these kinds of things that you're talking about, where you feel powerless, right? And you feel like I can't control the system. So, what am I supposed to do? I just hopeless. throw up my hands and shrug my shoulders and yep. punch my time card and hopeless and helpless. Yeah, look at the camera like Jim. <laughs> so right. what do I do? Right. So how do we speak scream-free into that? Well, scream-free, sort of the foundation of it all, is personal responsibility. Yes. And I think it, I think the best way to begin is by taking a step back and examining what exactly we mean by scream-free. Yeah. Right? Because not everybody is surrounded by literal monkeys who are screaming <laughs> and throwing their feces at one another. Right? If you if are in that office... In that, you should send your resume to Monster. Exactly. You really should. Absolutely. But, yeah, so, so a lot of times people hear... have this image of dodging feces. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, no matter how bad your work is. Right. Could be worse. Yeah. Someone could be hurling feces at you. Yes. So, uh, um, be, being screen-free, a lot of times people will come to us and they'll say, well, I'm not a screamer. Right. You know, my mom was a screamer, or my husband is a screamer. And, and or... there's not a lot of screaming in our office, right? It might be the exact opposite, that no one says anything... Which is a form of screaming. Of screaming. Right. It, it's the silent treatment. It's the hush, hush, passive aggressive yeah. whispers at the water cooler. Yeah. But no one's out and out screaming. Maybe what you're feeling is this desperate need to do exactly that, that that's what you're <laughs> fighting back all yeah, day. Yeah. Like, you like know? You're, you're trying to choke back a scream all day. Yeah. My, my wife talks about having uh, office Tourette's. Sometimes. <laughs> Where you just have this overwhelming desire, <laughs> desire to, just to just scream curse, out cuss words. To scream out right? curse words. Like she's, <laughs> she's a teacher, right, in this huge school. And she's in the middle of... Christian uh, Yes, exactly. Christian and so she's in this absurd, absurd leadership gathering with all the teachers, and everything that they said they were going to do, they're now saying mm-hmm. they're not going to do, and she has to fight the Tourette's. Oh, right? Yeah, want to yeah, yeah. scream it out loud. So for those people out there who are kind of in that situation where they, right. they're feeling like maybe they've been stuffing this scream for so long, and sure. they think they've got, they've got a handle on it, well, there's you've, good news and bad news, right? Well, good news is there is something you can do. The bad news is you're already screaming. Yeah. Jim, screaming. Jim yeah. is already screaming. Every time Jim looks at the camera right. and shrugs his shoulders and rolls his eyes... That is a form of screaming. Yeah, that's specifically called triangulation, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. 
it's also what he does whenever he looks at Pam and they think, oh my gosh, what are we doing yeah. here? Are uh, we the only human beings here? Right. Right. But that's also a form of screaming that he's doing is he is evading any introspection, mm-hmm. any self-awareness. He's projecting all of the issues on everyone around him, and what he's failing to see is that he is part of that system. He is a functioning part of the system. Everything he does, if it's not changing, and everything, everything is going as it goes, and everything he's doing is not changing anything, then he has this, eventually, fatal realization, recognizing yeah. that... My not changing is actually perpetuating everything, mm-hmm. helping to perpetuate just as much as everybody else is. I am playing a part in right. this whole problematic system. Right. right. And until I own my part, I'll never be able to affect any kind sure. of change. But to come to that level of self-awareness is unpopular, uncomfortable. And uh, I don't even. Uh, I'm trying to think of another unturn. <laughs> well, let me say this too. Yeah, we we've kind of helped people re redefine a, an understanding of screaming. Right. It's any sometimes ki- when we talk about yeah we, yeah it's any kind of emotional reactivity. Yeah, and that can be out loud screaming. That can also be shutting yourself down and shutting other people out. It can also be blaming everyone. Uh, but yourself. So there's a difference between a reaction and a response. Yes. A reaction is something you just don't think about. You right. just it's it's instinctual. But a response is a thoughtful measure taken with a per, with a desired outcome in mind. A strategy involved in I'm thinking through this and I this is a decision I want to make. This is how I choose to behave. I'm owning my choice to behave this way. So every week when we do a podcast, we talk about how we're two guys trying to figure out how to calm down. Right. So sometimes when we say calm, people misunderstand that as well. Sure. Because people sometimes assume screaming means literally screaming. Right. And don't understand all the nuances of that. And they sometimes assume that calm equals passive. Right. Or passivity. Right. So how and would you quiet. Yeah. So how would you how would you define calm for people? Calm ultimately is this amazing connection, this amazing combination, if you will, of two things. It's calm is this combination of calm, cool, yeah. right? Yeah. And connection. So both at the same time. At the time. same time. And that's what people have a hard time doing. Well, that, yeah, that combination is what's so difficult, because I can be calm by getting away from all my yeah. monkey crazies at work. Yeah, I have to cut off from right? them all together. So I'm not connected. Or I can be connected, but when I'm connected... I'm going to lose my mind. I want to strangle them, yeah. or I just want to walk on eggshells to not upset them, to not make them any worse. So somehow or other, staying both calm and connected, that's where the power is. But yeah, ultimately that means being present. And that has a power in it that I think is vastly underrated. Oh, and we discount it. Because sometimes we think in order to get things done, I got to crack the whip, yep. or I got to have this frenzy, yep. uh, th- this up tempo, this go 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 go, the, you know, or rah rah or something. Right. Got to get loud. That is how you get things done. Yes, I got to get loud. You ever watch somebody try to get a team meeting begun? Mm-hmm. Right, and all the monkeys are yeah. going crazy and having their conversations. Hey, and, hey, whoa! Yes. Yes. You know, or they uh, blow, you know, an right. air horn or something. 
make some loud. Is that really how you whistle? I was trying not to. Do you? Can over, you whistle? I was trying not to overload the microphone. Oh, so you can whistle? No, you can. Can you do the two pinkies thing? No, I can't. You can't do that. I can't. Eh, I can't either. Okay. My dad could, and I, I'm still not a man because I can't whistle <laughs> down can't the street. Do yeah, I mean yeah. he could do that, and I could hear it three streets away. Yeah. And I could come running like a dog. <laughs> yeah. Calm. Yeah. Has the ability uh-huh. to actually be productive. Well, because, and this has not been stated by us, this has been, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's a, it's a uh, Navy SEAL who says this, that calm is contagious. Mm, yeah. We've said many things like this, but when he says it, it carries a different weight to it. Yeah, it's weird because chaos is contagious. Absolutely. But so is calm. Mm-hmm. When it's intentional. Yeah. And when it's, and when it's a calm presence. Yeah, when it's someone who is fully present right. and calm, every, it, it tends to spread. Well, because when you are calm and present, you become a calming presence. Right. That's, that's the, the genius of becoming, uh, taking hold of your ability to influence, is recognizing, first of all, that your ability to be present is the best thing you bring, not your ability to be smart or clever mm-hmm. or intimidating. Your ability to be fully present is the best thing you can bring into your office because that is the only chance of getting what you want most. What you want most is not things to get done and more productive. What you want most is for everyone else to feel that sense of ownership on productivity as you do. Right. Jim and Jim feels like he's the only one who really cares. the only one who wants to get stuff done around right. here? The only one, right? And that's, studies have been shown that what, what really frustrates people yeah. in the workplace is that sort of, I feel like I, I don't get anything done. Right. I feel like I don't accomplish anything. Like I'm just putting in time on a treadmill here. Spinning my wheel. And, and, right. and when people are productive and efficient and moving right. forward, then they have this sense of accomplishment and mastery that brings about fulfillment in their work. They either feel that way or they feel like, there's somebody else trying to get them to get things done, and what they feel like is, no, you're trying to get help. You're trying to get me to get what you need to get done, right? Not right? what I want to get done. Yes, and so it's this constant pressure that we're either trying to tell others and get others to work better, or we're feeling like everyone else is pressuring us to do that. So the weird counterintuitive truth here, yeah, is we want to get things done. We have a tendency to think that the way to get things done is by being loud or cracking the whip or stirring people up into a frenzy. But the truth is, if you want to get things done, you begin... You got to get things calm. And what we mean by that is you got to get yourself calm. Yeah. And that means present. Fully present. I'm looking at you. I'm having a conversation with you. I am fully here and I am nowhere else. So I'm not thinking about the grocery list. And I'm not thinking about my phone that's vibrating over there. And I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking, what I want to do this weekend. Or I'm not thinking about the anxiety I feel about this moment, being present with you. Mm. I'm willing to be fully present and centered on what the issue is right now between you and me. What you and I need to talk about, what you and I need to work on. Mm-hmm. 
and how that fits in the overall mission of what we signed up to do by signing on to this place, right? Sure. That's what's uncomfortable, and yeah. that's why we avoid it. Yeah. But then we complain and blame the other person for avoiding and, it first. Yeah, that's it. So so, so then yeah. I want to say, well, I, I would do that, but you don't know these people. True. You don't know the people sure. that I have to work with, and you don't know how hard it is. Which we don't. You're right. I don't. You're right. And you know what? It goes even more than that. I don't know what it's like to work with me. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've been waiting for that moment for a long time. Thank you for teeing that one up yes. for me. Yeah. But the reality is, and this is true in so many of the arenas we we get to speak into. Right. This is true of parenting. This is true of marriage or relationships and dating and and all of these other things. It begins not because I want to wait for them to calm down. Sure. When they calm down and get their stuff together, then I'll join them. Right. But the truth is, it's not them. Right. It's you. It is. It is. because, And that, and that doesn't mean everything is all your fault. No. But it, it does but mean... all of your stuff is, is your fault. your fault. I, I want a pen. Give me a pen. a pen. Right there. Do you have a pen? Do you have a pen? pen. Writing something down. Pen. Sure. Right. There's a, there's a basic truth. Tell me the basic truth. The basic truth is this, that the loudest one in the room is actually the weakest one in the room. Mm -hmm. Loudest equals weakest. And there have been a number of different people who said similar things. I know Richard Nixon said something, that his objective oftentimes was to be the calmest person in the room. He wanted to, yes, he wanted to be the calm, and that doesn't mean the quietest. No. No. It does, it just means the least anxious and so when we say loud, right. we're not necessarily talking about someone who's raised their volume. Right. But it usually is an indicator that you're letting the is, anxiety yeah. get the best of you. And the basic hallmark principle of anything scream-free is that whenever we get reactive, we don't just make things worse. We actually create the very outcomes we were hoping to avoid. So think about this. It's like when you're carrying a full cup of coffee mm. across the living room. Right. And... When you don't think about it, you can walk with it just fine. Right. It's the more you start to think about, don't spill it, don't spill it, don't spill it. That's when you uh, end up spilling funny, it. Because Alan Alda used to do this uh, thing on stage. He used to do this one act play or one man show, yeah. and uh, he would start the episode. He would try and it, it, the the curtains would go back, and it was just him on one side of the stage. Yeah. And he would have a cup of water in his hand. And he wanted to do a demonstration of how tension can build, but he would w- just slowly walk across the stage with the glass of water. Slowly, slowly, right? And it's amazing because no one can think about anything else. Except other the than, water. Right, yeah. right. But the more he looked at the water, the more the chances it would spill over. Yeah. But if he just looked straight ahead where he was going, then it never did. And because he would do that that's as a demonstration. A good illustration of when we give in to our anxiety, we end up creating the very thing we're hoping to avoid. And so think about this. If my way of screaming, which I absolutely will confess, if my way of screaming is blaming somebody else, mm. right? Yeah. Or faulting them, faulting anyone but me. Yeah. Then what are the chances that when another person hears that, they're going to react the exact same way? Right. In a, in a defensive are, way. Yeah, exactly. People are very rarely going to say, you know what, you're right, it is me. Right. Yes, you're right, and I'm so glad that you yeah. pointed it out to me. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here to point out my faults. Right. How would I oh, survive life I without you? I love you, you so yeah. much. Yes. Boy, we need to listen to you more often. <laughs> I'm going to campaign for have you promoted. That's right. Because I want you here to point out my faults. 
until I get to the point where I recognize, you know what? I mean, th- this is what it would have taken in the office. It would have taken Jim saying, like you have pointed out, right? I am, pl- I am part of this dance. Yes. And my current behavior is reinforcing and exacerbating the craziness. Sure. And until I own that, I can't, I can't affect any kind of change. He has to begin with himself and say, even if nobody else does. Right. Well, that's the I'm hardest committed part. to this. That's the hardest part, because usually none of us is going to say that unless we think everyone else is going to join us. Right. So if, okay, we're all going to have this experience where we're all going to recognize our part and our responsibility for making things better, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm on board, as long as everybody else is. Right. And maybe you're courageous enough saying, I'll go first, as long as everybody yeah. else follows. But if I can't have the assurance that everyone else is going to do it, then I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put my head on the chopping block. Now, here's what was interesting. Uh, throughout the course of the, the TV show, right. at some point in time, Michael Scott, uh-huh. played by Steve Carell, uh-huh. leaves the company. Right. And now Jim thinks if we could get the right person in that job, then everything will change. Right. And so he's part of the interview team. Ah, to hire the next To hire the next guy. Right. And he's constantly thinking... If we can get the right person with a strong enough personality to sit in that office, mm-hmm. then everything will correct itself. And they end up going through a string of people who have very strong personalities and are very competent people, and the craziness continues. Why is that? Well, I think everybody, can know, everybody knows it because patterns are more powerful than personalities. Patterns are more powerful than personalities. And so you've got a pattern established in this office. Yes. And we think, well, we'll just bring in a better a better leader. Yeah. Right. And a that'll stronger automatically dancer. change it. Now at the same I want to recognize, look, leaders have a greater responsibility to the yes. mission of the organization yes. than other people do. They absolutely do. And they have a greater influence. And they, they very oftentimes set the tone. They absolutely do. In a way do. no one else in the office environment right. can. Here's the difficulty with relying too much on that truth, is because you discount your ability to lead anything if you don't see yourself as a leader. If you only see positional leadership as the influential, then you're misunderstanding leadership itself. Mm. Leadership is not only defined by position. It is. And the best organizations are the ones where the most, the, the, the most qualified emotional leader yeah. is also the, the recognized positional leader. Right. Okay? But well, that, that... Those are not <laughs> very... Not the same yes. skill set. So the, the person who is most self-aware and aware of all the patterns going on in the office, if that person is in the most position of a highest position of authority, mm-hmm. then your organization has the best chance of succeeding well in its mission. Now, oftentimes what ends up happening, though, is a very strong and competent leader mm-hmm. inherits a system. True. They didn't create the system. No, they walked so into he it. he walks into or she walks into a situation where 20 people are doing a dance that they have been doing right. for 17 years. Think of it, I always think of it like a wave pool. 
Yeah. Right? There's a bunch yeah. of people jumping up and down, creating a wave, right? We remember I used to in the kiddie pool. Yeah. Well, you yes. get that momentum. We would walk going. in a certain yeah. direction yeah. to get that. And so we're in many ways we're expecting one person to come in yeah. and stop that whole motion. The world's strongest man can't do that. Well, maybe the world's fattest man could. <laughs> Just jump in and <laughs> empty the pool just itself. Empties it, yeah, just sure. drains it. But, sure. But short of that, right? Uh, you didn't get into that pattern overnight. Patterns are bigger. Pa- yeah, patterns are, are more powerful than personalities. And one of the most, I mean, it's interesting. As a therapist, what I love to investigate are the patterns that get established in us. And these are kind of our reactive patterns, mm-hmm. how we respond to different situations, right? That... Uh, one of the most reactive patterns that gets set into our system is defined by something we had no control over whatsoever. The place, time and place... You were born. ...of our birth. Birth order. Yeah. That every study that's ever been done on... And this is so frustrating because you and I are both, you know, big, you know, personal responsibility... And, sure. ...and uh, freedom sure. of choice and all of those kinds of things. Oh, yes. So but fr- nothing... Because it feels like determinism to me. But yes, it does. Yeah. The reality is nothing has affected your personality. Nothing out of your control has affected your personality more than your birth order. Yeah. Something you had no control over whatsoever. Because think about it, we can think easily think about it. What are firstborns like? They tend to um, be highly responsible, highly accomplished, mm-hmm. right? Go getters, right? Yep. That absolutely think about. Well, you know what? If something's not getting done, I got to do. I it. better do it. Yeah. Right. If I don't do it, it, it won't get it won't done. get done. Yes. And They're, youngest children. Somebody else is going to take care if of this, I right? If I don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody else will eventually, yeah. right? And also, youngest ones are used to just kind of being pulled around wherever. Yep. You so know, I just adaptable. Kinda, right. I just float also, around. Also, the oldest one... See, on Christmas morning, mm-hmm. everybody's eyes go to the youngest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And the oldest one was the youngest one for the least amount of time. Yes. Yes. I was the youngest one. I'm still the youngest one right. in my parents' house on Christmas. Well, my kids are now, but mm, sure. Um, but I got to occupy that role as the center of attention for a lot longer this is why, than my sister. That's why every comedian you've ever seen is the youngest child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Billy Crystal, youngest yep. child. Steve Martin, youngest child. Yep. Everyone you've ever seen. Because we child. got comfortable being the center of attention. Then. Sure, sure. Now, Jim strikes me as a classic middle child. Yeah. Right? Because he feels like I'm helpless yep. and stuck. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can't do anything that, because maybe one time I was the prized youngest child, but now I've been displaced by that. So somebody else is going to get the attention. Somebody else is going to be the right? cute one. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of things. Mm-hmm. Or he could be a, 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 I'm getting really therapeutic here. I apologize. <laughs> he could be an oldest child with a domineering father. Right, so yeah. he has to subjugate himself to Steve Carell's to right character, but he feels like crap. I'm the only one who's got my crap together. I got to do it. But here's what he fails to recognize: mm. is um, he helped create the pattern, right? And now he's complaining about the pattern. Well, man, that's here's the biggest. And difficulty. they hire a new boss, yeah, and the pattern continues, right? And he continues to do what? Be look at the camera and shrug his shoulders and roll his eyes. What am I going to do? Complain about the problem. Because most people, when given a choice... Would rather complain than change. Yep. 
99 times out of 100, we would rather complain than change. And what nobody ever told Jim mm-hmm. was, because he's complaining, he doesn't feel like he, his voice matters, or his well, voice counts. His voice doesn't count if he's talking to us. Well, well there's that. Yes. That's, and we'll no, get to that in a but, minute. But that's the real issue, though, is he's saying, look, I'm going to complain about the pattern without realizing that my complaining, complaining is the, the part, part yeah. of the pattern. <laughs> that's my part of the pattern. It, th- that's not his only part of the pattern. Okay, what because, else? Because... Um, he complains about the way people are treating him. Right. But then he complains about that to other people who aren't the people who are treating him that way. And mm-hmm. why are they treating him that way? How, how did that start? That didn't arise in a vacuum. Right. It, it's, it's kind of a trite thing to say now, but the truth is we train people how, how to, to treat, treat us. us. Right. So uh, if you're in a situation where you feel powerless, you have to ask yourself, what did I do? to train these people to treat me this way, to give them the impression that it's okay to ignore me like this. And this is really, really uncomfortable yeah. for a lot of folks because we can get into a situation of bullying. Right. Right? We can get into a right. situation where someone is being abusive to another person and think, well, how did I train them how to mm-hmm. treat us? It's one of the most—this is a dicey, dicey issue. But I want people, you want people, we want people to— become a difference maker in their own lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't want to be a difference maker in your own life. And the reality is, the only way we ever start to make a difference in our own lives and in the way our lives operate is by recognizing the tiny things we do to either explicitly tell people what we will accept and not accept, or implicitly, passively, allow people to treat us in a certain way without mm-hmm. saying anything about it, without ever challenging it, and simply accepting it. These are difficult things to recognize, but either what we passively allow or what we actively do, that is communicating to everyone around us at all times, mm. this is how I expect to be treated. And this is what I will accept yes. in the form of treatment. This is how I expect, and this is how I will accept it. And Jim, for whatever reason, kept looking at me yeah. for help. Right. I can't help you. No. So, so what does Jim have to do? If he wants to change the pattern, and he wants to change the way people are treating him, what does he have to do? Sure. The, the most difficult thing that none of us want to do... And we got to, we, we, here's the, diff, the difficulty, and my wife and I talk about this in our marriage a lot, but uh, nothing ever changes unless we're willing to be part of the problem. Mm. Yeah. Some of us, I mean, you raise your hand and we'll sign up and say, do you want to be part of the solution? Sure. Everybody sure. wants to be part of the everybody, solution. Especially, you know, if you're listening to something like this, right? And you're ready to, you know, wanting to make a difference in the world or whatever in your world, you'll sign up for that. But how many of you being willing to be part of the problem? Mm. Willing to see yourselves as part of the right. problem, that to own the fact that you are part right. of the problem and wade into it. That if if the cameras go into your office, that means you are part of the story, mm. and the story doesn't doesn't get told without your character. Yeah, right. So what part of the story are you playing, and how long do you think you can keep playing that story? Without and how long can you keep playing that story? while expecting everyone else to play a different part. 
to mm. change their part. Yeah. Right? Do, are you simply expecting to continue doing exactly what you've been doing? So Jim, in order to change this, mm-hmm. has to begin with himself and recognize his part of the problem and right. and really wade into the lean into that. But ultimately, he's got to stop looking to me for help. Sure. Because w- w- when he looks at the camera, what's going on is the person who's causing him consternation. Sure. The 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 tension between Jim and that character is is so it ratchets up so high right that he has to f- look for a release valve and sure. that's what he's doing when he looks sure. at me sure sure it's easy to do but that doesn't change anything in fact it makes it worse in order to really make positive change what jim has to do is he has to look back at the person who he's got the beef with and figure out how to address that that's difficult that's uncomfortable but that's what good teamwork is built. Built playing one-on-one. And it's something I've been saying about families for a long time, and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's sometimes easier to think about it for families than it is for, for... But it means you actually have to address your issue with the person you have the issue with. Yeah. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at the camera. So, like, nobody out there is going to be able to help you, Jim. Stop going to Pam and stop looking at the camera and look back at your boss or look back at Dwight or look back at whoever is in the office and confront that. Right. And in that one-on-one exchange, that's the only way you can untrain and retrain people how to treat you. Right. One relationship at a time. Yeah. And I will tell you, it's the most... Uh, in my years of working with systems, family systems and organizational systems, and what I've seen is the greatest source of our stress is something we call a triangle. Mm. And it's, you know you're in a triangle when you feel caught between two loyalties. That you have a loyalty to one person Mm -hmm. that might be a friendship, maybe it's a coworker. You have a loyalty to another person that's a boss. Right. Different loyalty and... When your per- friend comes to you and complains about an issue that he or she has with the boss, right, mm-hmm. then you feel caught in between. Right. Because if you then too closely align with your coworker, then you might find yourself... In Dutch with the boss. Yes. In trouble. Or if you try to defend your boss to your friend, yes. your friend might think, well... Why don't, Whose, I side Whose side are you? are you on? Yeah. And that is the greatest source of our stress because there is no way out. You are trapped You're in that. Stuck in a triangle. Between your two loyalties. And that's ultimately, I believe, why Jim's looking at the camera. Because he feels trapped. Yeah. And he doesn't recognize what he is doing to allow himself to be painted into that corner. Mm. He's painting it, it. What he didn't realize is, you know, he's got the paintbrush in his own hand, and he doesn't realize how he's done that to himself. How have I aligned myself? And it's usually some form of fear. Mm. It's a fear of dis being disloyal to either person. I'm fear of being disloyal to my friend because you're my friend, right? And I value our friendship. I fear being disloyal to my boss because I value my job. Yeah. And both of those are important to me. But 
what is most important if you're really going to be a scream-free person. Sure. If you're going to have the scream-free experience that you want and have the inner peace that we all crave, then what you have to learn to do is see, how did I trap myself in this triangle? Mm. And recognize, I've got to have principles that are higher than my loyalties to each individual person. And I have to learn to play one-on-one with my boss. Right. And then play one-on-one with my friend, and then encourage them to play one-on-one with each other. And what this can look like is, your friend comes to you and complains to you about the situation with the boss. Right. Okay? Here's a simple way. So what did uh, the boss say when you talked to him about it? Yeah, what did he say when you When you confronted him about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't say anything to him, right? Why would I ever do that? I'm not going to get fired. Because you want to change things? Right. Because you want to have integrity? Because oh. you... Or you can simply say, oh, well, well, let me know what happens after you have that talk. <laughs> and that is a way of saying it without saying it. Exactly. Exactly. It's a deft move, right? It, but it's fi- figuring out, this is a great source of my stress because this is what's leaving me feeling helpless. What we're finding out is being scream-free. Yeah. First of all, it's, it's very hard. It's very difficult. It sounds very simple, but it's very difficult to live out in everyday life. Sure. But it has implications. Right. It has implications, obviously, that we've discussed at length for your family. Right. For your relationships, your romantic relationships and your friendships. But it also has tremendous impact on the place you spend... Most of your time. Most of your time. The work place. Right. And the only way to create a scream-free workplace is to say, I'm willing to go first. I'm willing to start with me. And if nobody else does, mm-hmm. I'm going to be scream-free in this workplace. Which ultimately just comes down, I'm going to be present, which means I'm going to be aware of my presence in this. I'm going to be aware of your presence. And I'm going to try, strive to focus on myself first, which sounds backwards. It sounds crazy, but in... If you want to experience a greater change, it sounds bizarre, but you have to be willing to focus more on yourself than on others. Because the reality is you're the only one in the room that you have any control over whatsoever. Right. So why does it make any sense to focus on anybody else other than you? I'll calm down as soon as the rest of these jokers do. Right. See, people think narcissism is focusing on yourself, (laughs) and that's not true. Narcissism is getting other people to focus on you. Right. You're not trying to get anybody else to focus on you. You're You're trying to you. Focus on you. I don't care what... Dwight or or Jim or Pam, Jim or, Pam or, or what anybody Michael. else is going to do, right. I am going to stay calm and connected and trust that this becomes contagious. Okay, well, thanks for listening to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things Scream Free. Two guys trying to figure out how to calm themselves down mm-hmm. so that they can grow themselves up, so that they can get closer to the people who matter most. We'll talk to you more next week. <laughs>